0: Good morning, good day, good evening, good night, whatever time you're joining us in for another podcast episode of First Aid Basics. I'm your host, Jay. To quote William Shakespeare, to suture or to not suture, that is the question. So in today's finale of Wound Care Basics, we're going to be discussing uh, signs, symptoms of Possible need of suturing. signs symptoms that the person needs to seek more advanced care. Possible antibiotic treatments. And we're also going to do a summary of the previous three podcasts for wound care as a whole. So without further ado, let's just dive right in. How would I know if the wound that I'm treating might need suturing okay you may hear the word stitches stitches and sutures are just interchangeable One's the layperson's word and the other one's the medical term okay. there are some other wound closure techniques that are out there but basically for um, this episode I just want to kind of focus in on suturing uh, talk briefly about uh, Steri-Strips and wound care management so, as the old adage goes in uh, real estate, location, location, location. So, let's look at the location of the wound. Is it locate? Is it somewhere that's being used often, like a joint, so an elbow, a knee, maybe the knuckles of the hand? If so, repetitive motion because of our um, activities of daily living, just might burst open that uh, wound and might start bleeding again. So there's your first indication that A, the person needs to seek more advanced care, such as a, a physician or a nurse practitioner, for assessment, and B, given that it's not closing up properly, they probably may need some suturing or at the least strips applied. The other thing we want to look at is the depth of the wound. If it's more than half an inch or a centimeter, also if you can see underlying tissues such as the subcutaneous, the fatty tissue, the muscle, or the bone. If you can see any of those, it's probably deep enough for at least an assessment by uh, an emergency room clinic or uh, some kind of hospital care. Given the depth of the wound. The person may also need to be on a course of antibiotics for fear of infection. Another thing we want to take in consideration in the location side is face near the eyes, the ears, the mouth, the nose, uh, also around the genital area. Any kind of uh, lacerations to those parts need to have further assessment by a physician and if suturing is required they may bring in a plastic surgeon for minimizing of scarring. Also for need of possible uh, suturing or advanced assessment is what caused it, what caused the injury because if it's like a puncture wound you could be having to uh, maybe think about tetanus and here in Canada we do recommend tetanus boosters every 10 years. Also if the puncture wound was by an animal bite then you definitely need to seek um, further assessment at your closest emergency room or clinic due to the possibility of rabies. And that needs to be assessed as well. Human bites or another bite that uh, if the skin is broken, needs to be assessed by a physician or nurse practitioner somewhere um, that has more advanced training because our mouths are full of bacteria. They're filthy and they're easily infected. Okay. Uh, another thing we want to take in consideration for advanced wound care management is uh, any anything that the bleeding doesn't stop easily within seven to ten minutes okay so if you're applying direct pressure and it's still not working and it's not being managed properly so that's bleeding that's ongoing can't be controlled that's another cause to seek advanced medical care such as a clinic or hospital impaled objects obviously uh kind of summarizing from a couple of uh, episodes back you want to stabilize that object in place so you can use most anything to build up a um, log cabin style uh, quote unquote so you would have Two gauzes, two pieces of gauze on one side, and then another two pieces uh, crisscross on the other side, so that you're building up uh, a stability that is approximately half of the remaining uh, exposed impaled object. Now, some of the industrial accidents I have witnessed and been to where it's just this huge piece of pipe or a huge piece of wood. Practicality speaking, they're going to need fire rescue to uh, cut that down to a manageable size to get them into an ambulance. So that's not practical to have uh, that managed with just log cabin. It's, it's just not going to be manageable because that person needs uh, treatment, uh, pre-hospital care, and uh, that impelled object to be more uh, lowered. Okay. All right, so some other types of wound cares that can present as needing special assistance would be firearms. So, you have handguns, rifles, shotguns. Any of those can produce velocity uh, bullet injuries that can cause both entry and exit wounds or just an entry wound. So the first thing you need to do as a rescuer is make sure the scene is safe for you to even approach obviously it goes should go without saying. And the second thing is once you've found the in- the entry site look for an exit wound. Now sometimes there might not be one depending on the type of bullet, the velocity, the distance etc etc. Uh, So just look for an exit wound again. It might ricochet off of a few bones inside and stay lodged inside the body, but still look for an exit wound anyway, because if the uh, weapon was of a higher caliber, and depending on what kind of bullet was used, the exit wound could most definitely be more damaged than the entrance wound. Similar to someone being electrocuted where there is an exit wound always with electrocution. Some other injuries, wound care management, special circumstances would be uh, broken bones that are puncturing through the skin. So when we get to the bone um, episode, which is just coming up shortly, we're going to treat that the same as if it was an impelled object. Except so for one extra piece that we're going to apply is if there's a bone sticking through the skin, we're going to take a sterile piece of gauze. So these these type of injuries, we want to use sterile as much as possible because the infection rate for uh, getting into a bone is very serious. So you would take one four by four sterile dressing, you would place it lightly over the exposed bone you would take two more sterile four by four dressings and fold them or roll them uh, so that they lie side by side the bone, one on either side. The reason we're doing it in that order is those two pieces that are folded up will keep that first one that we call the tent in place. And then we would take a roller gauze or a triangular bandage and we would lightly uh, wrap those those pieces that dressing in place if you're using a roller gauze do not apply direct pressure over the bone itself kind of kind of wrap under that area and then go around to just the other side of the dressing and again anytime you're using um, dressings or bandages to secure uh, wounds make sure you check the circulation before you apply and after you apply that is uh, unfortunately one of those minor missed points but it is important Uh, and the easiest way to do that is check the capillary refill at the fingernail bed or uh, if the person has nail polish on you can use the pad of the finger so what you're doing is you're pushing in slightly for a second releasing and you're looking at the color respond some other things you're gonna want for wound care management in some special circumstances is you want to look for signs and symptoms of an infection and that was reviewed earlier and I just want to just do a little summary so you have it looks angry so it'd be red it maybe swollen it may have some uh, white discharge we call that pus the person might not feel well just general malaise May have a, a fever or complaining of having a fever, so those are all signs and symptoms of an infection, and that person needs to seek advanced medical care as well. When you are assessing a wound, we generally do not debride that wound. However, in certain given circumstances, it is acceptable to. Uh, wash out really dirty wounds at the scene, so like gravel and rock and oil and grease and things like that. So just uh, put it under tap water, clean tap water please, and just try to irrigate that as much as possible before you apply a dressing. Um, And again, for minor wounds, uh, the application of an antibiotic cream is acceptable. Just only use a small little amount because uh, that applied with a bandage of some form Uh, can make it goopy, and we don't want that. We also want to take good care that uh, any wounds that we are taking care of in the field do realize that once they get to a hospital, the physicians, uh, the nurse practitioners, they will remove the initial dressing so don't be shocked, even though we're telling you not to, because it's pre-hospital care. We want the bleeding to stop. The only way that they can assess that wound Thoroughly is to take off all the dressings and see what they're hand, what they're dealing with. If it's going to be requiring sutures or steri strips, if you have the training and ed- access to steri strips, the wound does not present in any of the uh, other s- signs that I mentioned at the beginning for needing suturing or further advanced care. By all means, you can apply steri strips if you are trained and have those resources at hand. Uh, with wounds that are deep or large that I have mentioned needing advanced care or needing suturing do not wait that needs to be seen right away by delaying what's happening is the body is naturally trying to heal itself wound care management from a nursing perspective is it's supposed to heal from the inside out At times, if the person does not seek treatment or does not get treatment, the wound will start to heal from the outside in, and that leaves a gap. And that can lead to other serious complications down the road. So always get them to a care facility as soon as possible. Another thing for special circumstances regarding wound care and injuries is a crushing injury. You see that in industrial or logging sites where a um, a tree falls on someone's limb. The general rule is unless it is obstructing their airway, so anything that's covering their head, neck, chest, leave it in place. Let the fire rescue EMS teams deal with this person. Okay. Only remove it if it's involving impeding their airway. Something like a limb, arm or a leg, um, hip, leave it. What's happening there is that object is causing a dam effect on that limb. So not only do you have broken blood vessels, uh, soft tissue being held down by this object, possibly broken bones. That is causing a dam effect right then and there. Blood is starting to pool, starting to clot. Naturally, it does that. So if you're really super ego and not thinking and want to move that object, your cause can cause more damage. Because think of it this way. What happens when you release a dam at a river? All the water and all the debris that was at that dam starts to flow down the river. So think of that analogy before you uh, want to take any kind of heavy object off a person's arm or leg all that debris and all that blood is going to start flowing internally or externally and you won't see it necessarily. Uh, So what they do for EMS and fire rescue training is the paramedics, EMTs, whatever you, you call them in your province or state or jurisdiction, they're going to get the person with oxygen, checking their vital signs, possibly a couple of IV lines, maybe something for pain management. And they're gonna slowly move this object while assessing the whole uh, area so they're gonna be assessing the part that's been injured and continually assessing uh, the person's vital signs the level of responsiveness etc these type of rescues are slow and deliberate for that one reason so maybe looking at it from an outsider non EMS you're thinking they're not doing anything, but they're being very methodical. This is one of these, we need to take our time. This is not a rush. Uh, back in my old EMT days, we would say uh, words like stay and play or load and go. This would be a stay and play because uh, what we need to do for them now is get them stable. And then once they're stable and the object is off of them, then we load and go. And again, uh, protocols do vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Going back to wound care management and signs and symptoms. I believe it's already been mentioned here in Canada that we use a 10-year rule for um, guidelines for tetanus. Now, depending on where you're listening to this podcast, it may be less, maybe more. So anything that we discuss in these podcasts, always follow your local jurisdictions, protocols, and best practices. Some other points I want to mention regarding wound care is having a first aid kit on hand. Obviously, I discussed this in the first wound care management and in previous podcasts cannot stress this enough having a really good first aid kit on hand is so vital and important first thing gloves lots and lots of gloves where i live i can pick up a box of non-latex non-powdered gloves for about 10 to 12 dollars given this podcast is being made during covid right now The demand is not as high as it was earlier when COVID first started. So there are lots of resources to buy gloves. I highly suggest purchasing a box of gloves. They're usually coming out a box of 100. And carrying uh, eight or nine pairs in your first aid kit, in your vehicle. Some other items I would highly suggest. Slings. I'm holding one in my hand now. That's the triangular bandage and you can listen to previous podcasts for the actual dimensions or just look it up on Google for triangular bandage dimensions. Whether you make them from old sheets or you buy them commercially, you cannot have enough of these, uh, especially when we get into wound, uh, bone and joint care and broken bones. These are the most universal first aid um, wound care management, bone management, whatever you want to call it, slings, the most universal type of uh, a first aid kit gear that you can have. Uh, Some other ideas for your first aid kit. Obviously, sterile dressings, and that has to be purchased. It's one of those items that if you carry sterile dressings, you're going to be making some purchases. And sterile dressings will say sterile, and they come in individual wraps. If you have at your disposal, uh, either monetary-wise or uh, in your uh, first aid kit, non-stick sterile dressings are excellent for burns, and that was discussed in the previous podcast episode. They do there are commercial burn kit of uh, kits on the market. They could be gel. They could be this uh, weird-looking thing that you put on the burn they are acceptable as long as they are not expired and the seal has not been broken. Some of them have medications already built in so that you, all you have to do is apply that directly to the wound and in the instructions it states what types of wounds it is best for. The full thickness burn, that's the one with the charring and the black, that most of our first aid kit uh, burns do not approved for that type of treatment because um, they will need debridement, and we do not debride in the field. Uh, going on with the full thickness or third degree burn, if there is clothing or anything stuck to the wound, c- take your scissors and cut around. Do not try to pull anything off the wound itself. Uh, any burns involving around the arms or hands remove the watch or watches or rings whatever that they're wearing as soon as possible it includes bracelets even the medical alert bracelets those need to be removed as soon as possible before the swelling starts uh, do make note if they are wearing a medical alert bracelet what they are allergic to or what it states on there also with wound care Majority of the time, minor wound care can be treated with tap water and antibiotic cream. Okay. Out of thousands of first aid courses, both basic and advanced, great majority of the reports from my students are it's minor wound care, minor um, superficial burns at a restaurant or cuts at a restaurant cuts at um, at an office or industrial site so they're generally minor in uh, my experience as an instructor okay. so with that we're gonna wrap up this episode of wound care basics this will be the final episode for wound care basics again uh, please, Keep in mind, if anything that's been mentioned may sound a little foreign or a question, feel free to email me. Uh, I will have the email posted on the podcast description, and it's also uh, listed in previous podcasts as well. The next couple of podcasts will be discussing head and spine injury and then broken bones and care thereof. There'll be two separate podcasts. And given my work situation, it may be a week or two before I get to making another podcast. But as soon as I do, it'll be published. I wish everyone a very healthy and happy 2021 as this is being recorded the first weekend of January of 2021. And... Take care and stay safe.